0: 32 Counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about.
1: But before we do any of that business, it's time for a Patreon, baby. Uh, Loads of new supporters. Thank you very much. Woohoo! Um, Your support means a lot to us. Um, Welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. Hope you feel soothed. (laughs) I feel like the sooth is going to be an important thing this week. Mm. Um, You get bylines, you get 32 questions, and you get to know that you are supporting this content.
0: You get our love and appreciation. You also get rewards. Bonus pods, as Andrea says. Uh, We do this on our own. Nobody, nobody helps us. (laughs) 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 Apart from Andrew, apart from producer Andrew and you, you delightful network of, you know, just enthusiastic, engaged, encouraging jambles called the Patreon uh, supporters. You want to join the illegal Patreon warehouse rave called this podcast. What is going on here? I don't know, just completely. Oh, I should have written something in the script. (laughs) However, um, if you want to help us make this podcast, support us, keep it going, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Just three little blips a month will keep uh, uh, our show
1: on the road and in your ears. Speaking of going on the road, we are in fact... Going on the road or in the air. We are going to uh, London town um, to ask 32 questions uh, to Sabina.
0: That's right. It's our first live podcast event of the year. 32 questions live in London with the first woman of Ireland, Sabina Higgins, on March 5th. It's in the London Irish Centre, part of Women With With Evening. So if you're in town... Um, perhaps you've emigrated recently due to the housing crisis. Well, come on down and find your comrades. Let's build the resistance
1: from afar. Who ever thought it would be more affordable to live in London than Dublin? <laughs> um, oh, so oh, uh,
0: but yeah, we're delighted uh, to be back on the road. Um, uh, usually we, On the road again? Usually we pop up at various festivals and maybe that will happen. Um, If you want to pay us money to uh, do a live podcast at your festival um, this year, we are currently taking invites from Davos, Milan Fashion Week, Sundance, Glastonbury and Burning Man. Uh, So if you run any of those festivals or maybe you book tents in those festivals, um, uh, we would like to broadcast from there. But for now, it's March 5th uh, at the London Irish Centre in the capital of England. Now, Andrea, we have a fascinating conversation on this episode with one of our political legend, hero women, basically. Um, it's Lynn Ruan, and she is has been talking an awful lot recently about this dragging of the heels um, on proper... Uh, fundamentals of drug policy in Ireland. So what question are we asking this week, Andrea?
1: The question we are asking is, why is the government ignoring the reform and resourcing needed on the issue of drugs in Ireland? Senator Lynn
0: Ruan will be here talking to us. Uh, But first, it's the state of the nation.
1: What's the state, Andrea? Um... I think the thing we shall all be talking about, thinking about, um, getting upset about is the war that has started in Ukraine uh, this morning. Um, Yeah, I, like, I feel very overwhelmed by it, obviously. It's, it just, obviously there's no time for war ever, but just the senselessness and the Big dick swinging of it all to just impact on so many people's lives. I just think it's awful. It's
0: uh, horrific. It's it's unoverwhelming, as you say, and 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 surreal. I think. Uh, and we'll be we'll be we'll be following. We'll hopefully be getting some interesting um, and different voices for you guys on what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. Um, and solidarity to any of our listeners who may be um, Ukrainian who are listening. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom, uh, but it is happening. Um, closer to home, there are protesters
1: in the air. It feels on Saturday, uh, housing and homeless, uh, are th- having a nationwide action on Uh, dereliction and housing. Um, You can go to Twitter to at underscore housing crisis where you'll find all the details of where they're taking place um, all over Dublin, all over the country. So try and get to one near you. And also uh, on Friday, there is going to be a protest
0: at the National Gallery of Ireland. Uh, In the ongoing kind of escalating situation there um, with regards to them, uh, awarding a contractor on their cafe to Aramark, who are obviously linked to the direct provision system in Ireland, and um, I think there's three artists now who have pulled their work uh, from the Zurich Portrait Prize, Prize exhibition. So that is not going away. I think it's it's really interesting though that it just shows how obviously Aramark have you know done multiple things like buying Avoca and and obviously they were protested on college campuses as well. Um, it does feel like you know, the consciousness is raised so much with regards to the direct provision system and with regards to that company in particular, that people just aren't taking it. So well done uh, to the artists who took a stand there and to uh, everybody uh, who's going to show up on Friday.
1: I think there's two interesting things about that. One, the head of Aramark is the head of IBEC, which I didn't know about before. And secondly, that the National Gallery didn't allow the protest to happen within the gallery. When the artists took their pieces out, they replaced them, which is disappointing. Yeah,
0: very disappointing. And their comms to staff um, has been pretty appalling, actually. Um, so I think institutions really need to learn that, you know, that, that the people who work for you and show their work uh, in your space, actually, know what they're talking about. I also think, as well, like apart from anything else, apart from the fact of Aramark's history in Ireland, like it's so uh, it's so uninspiring as a as a partner to be to be working with in a in a in a national cultural institution that you would just get this like catering company, you know, that caters prisons in America and the Direct Vision System in. Um, your dogs agree Andrea here they are very against direct provision uh so yeah even on when you look at what's happening in in other cultural institutions you look at Luncheonette and Hugh Lane and you know you know the the that um the camp sisters have always um been uh, doing the catering stuff at IMA. you know you look at different uh places around the country that actually make a virtue of the food um and the offering and make that a creative thing uh to just be doing this with Aramark. I don't I, I think you know, even on a superficial level, the most <laughs> Yeah, but even on a superficial level, in terms of like, oh, that's what you feel like people want in your organ in your cultural
1: institution. That's whack. And um, what else is going on? Uh, I just thought this was really odd um, that it was announced that the temporary downgrading of uh, driving license uh, places was going to be made permanent. So you, all the walk-in facilities are gone. Um, And you can only do it online, but you do need a uh, public services card to do it online, which was recently uh, declared illegal. That you would have to have the ID card thing. Yeah. So now you're like, you're being forced into getting a public service card, which was said was illegal. But if you want to drive, you have to get one. We should go
0: back actually and look at some of the public service card issues because it's still a mess. It's still like chicken and egg vibes with everything that you're meant to do you know oh you don't need it for this but if you if you're getting this though you do need it though you see yeah. <laughs> Schrodinger's uh, identity card okay we're going to talk to Lin Ruan now So in recent years, Citizens Assemblies have been held on various topics, as you all know, in order to progress legislation um, and referendums with varying results. One of the issues that was proposed to discuss in this format is the issue around drugs and drug addiction and all of the legislation that kind of flows from all of the things related to that but the government now says the Citizens' Assembly discussing that won't be held until 2023, with an assembly and a directly elected mayor taking place before that, um, for Dublin anyway. Uh, various campaigners and legislators have been have strongly criticised the delay. Ireland has a pretty bad record um, when it comes to issues of addiction. Uh, the default position often seems to be just to ignore it and not properly resource the various things that are needed to help people through uh, their recoveries. Senator Lynn Ron has worked tirelessly in this area. She's joining us now to talk through what's needed, where the state is failing, and how things can be better. Hello, Senator. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When was the idea of a Citizens' Assembly on this issue proposed, and what do you think it could achieve?
2: So it was proposed by the Green Party. I think primarily Nessa Horgan has been uh, pushing internally for this to happen. It was part of the program for government negotiations. Um, You know, as as a senator, I'm obviously not part of government negotiations or, you know, wouldn't be as an independent. But we do often contact... um, different parties and people that are going into those negotiations in the civil engagement group, we'd make an effort to start communicating really important things with them, hoping to kind of just, yeah, make sure certain things are on the table. I suppose the Citizens Assembly was a Green Party initiative in, in, in this area. But before that, I don't think there was much mention of a citizens assembly on it but i think at this stage so many of us just clung to that then because we had kind of been fobbed off in various different ways up until that point and um, in a sense we've had um in in 2017 we had a public consultation that had 22,000 submissions to a say on one one policy aspect, which is decriminalization. Mm. like 22,000 submissions. That has never happened on any other issue in the history of the state. 22,000 submissions. So for me, when that was ignored and watered down um, and everything that kind of flowed from that process, for many of us then, the Citizens Assembly, even though we know the stuff that needs to happen, we were like, well, maybe this is an opportunity to have that kind of conversation that's not got bias in or emotion or you know, I think Senator MacDuel actually said in the chamber yesterday and it keeps ringing true um, in my head all night when I think about it, he admitted to being scared as the Justice Minister to address this issue. And I think What's good about him saying that is, it's like, is he pointing to the fact that people are just afraid to face into the facts of this, which it's good to recognize that. But you also need to challenge that because you're in a position of power. And if you're led by fear of the unknown or fear of the consequence, well, then you're just going to continue to actually have policies that are not grounded in any evidence. And that's worse <laughs> than stepping into your fear. Like,
1: Well, you mentioned, you know, already now the issues that need and things that
2: need to happen. What would you say they are? So just to give a kind of like general view, there's so much obviously like funding of existing services is just one obvious one. They are struggling and have been since uh, they were struggling before austerity but obviously particularly more since then and they've never had any funding increase staff have never had any increments and program development funding has never been increased so just the drugs initiative in terms of its normal service provision which means that they can't even be creative or use any sort of new innovation to keep up with new drug trends or new types of interventions or you know be able to train their staff on particular trauma interventions that might be needed so as science moves and understanding moves, projects are not in a position to because they they don't have the luxury, I suppose, to be thinking outside the box about how to actually work and support communities. So they're constantly firefighting. So that's just one chunk of it. But then you've access to naloxone. Um, You know, a a few weeks ago on the chamber floor, I put it on the record that somebody dies every day of an overdose. That doesn't need to be the case. Family members right now can't access naloxone. So you as the, the user of the drug has to be the one that seeks out the prescription and be the one that carries the drug in their pocket. Now, for some drug users that are in a position to do that, they do do that. But so many people are actually... In chaotic situations, or in, in in situations where they don't even know that naloxone exists or it's a thing, so families should be able to actually get a prescription for naloxone for in the house because the family becomes the first responder. They're the ones to find the loved one with, an, with, you know, overdosed. So there's issues with access to naloxone as well for the likes of guards, in hostels, in all places like that and people understanding how to use it. There's then the fact that um, methadone treatment is works very well for a lot of people. How we've implemented it has lots and lots of problems. The methadone protocol is old. It needs to be reformed. We need to look at how we create care plans but we need to have options so right now methadone is really the cheapest option but it might not necessarily be the best option for everybody but so there's no choice so you have the likes of suboxone you also have some states and countries beginning to look at and and have used uh, heroin assisted treatment so clinical grade heroin instead of using the likes of methadone so these are conversations that we also need to have and then you have the safe injecting facility being held up and then In a sense, it's a little bit outdated as well because intravenous drug use is actually reduced. So what you need now actually is a safe consumption site Mm -hmm. where crack cocaine as well can be used with safe paraphernalia. And then you also have an issue of all Ireland. So like up, up north, the conversation is very different. And I think we kind of forget that The legacy issues up there in terms of being a drug user are even harsher, even harsher than down here. So we need to have a kind of all Ireland conversation as well about how drug users are are treated right across the country. So you look at some parts of rural Ireland, there's some people that have to travel to Dublin to collect methadone or to seek methadone, which means that they're not able to access any sort of supports in their rural villages or towns. So it's kind of Dublin-centric sometimes where all the supports are, but that's not where all the addiction, and and you're kind of repeating the failures of the 90s and in, in, in Dublin by not allowing this, you know, by not getting ahead of the curve then in other counties that are starting to experience more increased heroin use, uh, and while Dublin kind of sees, sees a steadying of that. So then you just have the basic decriminalisation stuff which is obviously bad policy. Uh, Criminalization is bad policy that underpins so much of it. So anybody that's even seeking recovery, say that's in active addiction or chaotic addiction, um, to have a conviction on your record for for possession or to end up in the prison system uh, greatly reduces your chances of being able to actually ever leave that chaotic drug use because that charge will come up on your record forever. And, you know, what's the point of putting someone in the prison system where they don't have access to safe paraphernalia, but the drug use is still rampant. So then you have unsafe use in the prison systems where you have an increase of bloodborne viruses. So we even need to look at the policies on drug use in prison and face up to the fact that the prisons are full of drugs without any real drugs interventions safe injecting facilities or, uh, you know, any sort of like crack pipes or kind of or even an understanding of benzodiazepines. So um, in the prison system, benzos get in a lot. It's the easiest thing to get in there. But then people are overdosing. Uh, Other prisoners won't tell the governors or the security guards that someone's overdosing because then that's drawing attention that there might be drugs on the landing. So then you have somebody in a really uh, precarious situation where they could actually die. So for me, nalaxone also plays a role in here because we should be training prisoners how to actually give nalaxone to other prisoners so that then you can save lives in that setting as well. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the criminalization Um, Like there's so much, there's so many good things we could be talking about in relation to drugs. There's so many progressive things happening in other countries with like, you know, using psilocybin in in, in therapy, like doing ketamine trials, MDMA MDMA trials. There's all these things where everyone's moving ahead. But because we haven't even dealt with the basics, we haven't even dealt with the basics. We can't even have those other conversations about when drug use is actually a, a positive thing in how we actually work with people and their trauma. Mm. That's just some. There <laughs> so were
0: we'll like, I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics of that that in a second. I mean, it, it also kind of feels like the the state really missed a trick with naloxone. You know, uh, branded as Narcan, right, as the as the nasal um, spray, because that was an Irish company. You know, that, that was developed developed in Waterford, and I think they sold it in um, twenty eighteen for like half a billion euro or something. Um, so well done uh, to the <laughs> the people who developed that, I guess, made a lot of money and we still don't have it widely spread for um, paramedics and so on. But you mentioned there um, Dublin, like the the mistakes of the 90s and the mistakes of the 80s as well. Um, the city has historically been abandoned when it comes to the impact of drugs, particularly around heroin and the impact that that, I mean, it changed the the face of the city really in many ways. And you can identify the how that um, also impacted um, gentrification and um, people being priced out of places uh, relates back to the the places that were most damaged by by the heroin epidemic as well. When you're talking about all of these things in the mix, it really feels like a citizens assembly is actually a really really good place for all of this to to be drawn out when you heard that that was going to be delayed um what do you think what kind of message do you think that sends to to legislators and campaigners and um organizers in this sphere because it just feels like it 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 diminishes it as an issue
2: it does. It diminishes it, right? But then you can't help but become paranoid in them spaces, then as well. Like sometimes I'm like, am I, am I just now verging into the fact that I can't believe anything that I'm being told? You know, and that's a scary place to get in, then, because you don't want to become like so skeptical of everything. So. I trun myself passionately into the idea of a citizens assembly because I want to engage in these processes positively and to give my expertise and to give my energy alongside the government. You know, it's only when they then deviate that I start to go, wait, hang on a minute. But for us looking in, you you have to think of the lifetime of the government, right? So if you don't have a citizens assembly to 2023, and I've just given you a snippet of the policy issues that come to my mind, like just off the top of my head is in no way covers all of them in relation to detox beds, access to rehab, aftercare, housing, all those things are all incorporated in the conversation as well. So a Citizens Assembly then, say, sets up in January 2023, runs for nine months So now we're going near to the end of 2023 where they have to draft a report. That report has to come back into the houses. I would imagine on an issue like this, like the Eighth Amendment, a special committee then set up to pull those recommendations and look at the legislative and policy changes that need to come from it. The government doesn't have that long. So for me, I'm going, if you keep delaying it, what you're telling me is you're trying to push it so far away from you having to do anything under this current government formation. And then you have a new government set up where you may have the report, but you haven't had any change. And then uh, campaigners like myself and other politicians that are campaigning and and campaign groups have to start again with a whole fresh makeup of government. So it feels like you're just being reset every single government cycle to the beginning again. So that's what a delay means to me in in a technical sense, I suppose, and us being able to actually get the job done.
1: It does feel like there is. It is a class issue. Like you can't say it isn't when you have n- a full lack of urgency from the likes of Finnefall and Fine Gael. How do you think there's a way to bring them along? Or like, obviously, you're trying all the time. But how, how do you
2: how do you bring them along? You see, I don't think I'll ever really get them to understand the severity of the issue because, you know, I don't think politicians spend enough time actually really. Uh, Intellectualize and understand and philosophize and thinking about how all these issues connect to one another. You know, people are so uh, determined to just get elected again or, you know, I think the Shannon is a great place to have these conversations. And I think if we had more politicians, even from parties that aren't from communities like mine, actually not just be trying to get into the doll and doing like localised work, they'd be able to engage in this big picture stuff, you know, and that's what the Shannon should be doing is that big picture national question stuff. And this is one of them. And I think, unfortunately, um, politicians have no foresight. They're never looking forward. They're never looking past terms. They're never looking past reports. Like they're not thinking 10 years into the future, 15 years into the future. They just lack foresight. And I think it's a real failure on the caliber actually of politicians that we actually elect. And I think um, until we actually have like leadership in those positions to drag like to drag the parties with them we're just going to keep going around in this loop like I mean I've tried everything from right just stick to the policy points then just stick and then I go you know and then the trauma stuff is coming out and I'm giving them this trauma porn that actually traumatizes me to keep having to give out and I shouldn't have to keep flogging the lives of the people that I love to get attraction like that's because it feels doesn't feel very nice so then I've tried to tell our stories, our realities. I've tried to provide briefings. I've written reports. I've written policy documents. I've written legislation. So I'm constantly trying to present the same information in various different ways. And I do think it's getting some support, you know, like one or two, Fine Gael, people walked out of the room yesterday as to not vote against my amendment, you know, you start to see that there's like, once you get one, two, three people go, no, we need to do something within their own parties. That's when they start to weaken. But unfortunately, some people um don't actually exercise their own independent thought. So I do believe there's more people than we believe actually care. But it's a real weakness, I think, on behalf of our politicians that they don't actually take a stand and they just abandoned conviction and principle on, on on this stuff. But I do think our communities are affected completely differently, and I think they. I think unfortunately, maybe some people still have this stereotypical idea of, of these archetypes of what what a person in addiction is, like it's a weakness, like it's a choice, like you had a different choice. And that's because they they see addiction through a middle class lens where people had all the opportunities in the world or they had housing or they had a safe home or they had a university degree and they still ended up with addiction, but they can count them on their one hand. Like, do you know what I mean? Like when I look around my community, I find it very hard. Like if I walked one of them politicians around just my estate alone, I would find it hard to find a home that wasn't impacted, where they can point out the one or two people. So I think they don't really understand the gravity of it. And I think they actually prefer to blame drug dealers in some senses rather than themselves. It's like drug dealers and drug users originate from the exact same issues. You know, we are the one, and I hate this separation of of, of drug dealers and drug users, because as long as they keep pointing at like the big bad drug dealers, whoever they are, right? As long as they can point at them, they can demonise someone else for this problem. So I think, unfortunately, until politicians take responsibility that they are responsible. They are responsible for the drug trade. They are responsible for the violence and they are responsible for actually changing it. I don't know what I can do to make them see it unless they can actually really own that in their hearts that they have the power to actually change those structural issues. It's sad when you kind of and
0: I'm sure you're, 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 you're like, you're doing so much on this issue and you're advocating so passionately and so brilliantly and so expertly on it. But yet, like so many other things, time and time again, you and pol- other politicians of your caliber are coming up against this mush of just not caring, just like just actually not giving a shit, basically. I mean, that's so cruel, but like, it's it's kind of true, um, I, I I wonder if you were, um, I know that's a pretty <laughs> pessimistic uh, statement, but thankfully there are people like yourself in there um, advocating for, for change and progress. So if you were a minister for, with responsibility for this issue tomorrow, what would be your top three policy initiatives?
2: Well, de- decriminalisation is one. And what's the
0: story? Because there was all this stuff like a couple of years ago that that there was um, possession of cannabis and stuff like that was being decriminalised.
2: No, so what they did was they took all the evidence, they ignored it, they bowed to Garrett Sheen, who was the chair of the working group who wanted harsher penalties at the end of the working group, harsher bloody penalties, right? And... They ignored all the evidence, both uh, national and international evidence that they got to that committee, as well as the consultation. They came out with an option that wasn't recommended in any of the, the, the consultation processes that on the first occasion, it would be a health issue and then from there on in, it would be a, a a potential justice issue like adult caution. So you, it, what that does is that's another middle class policy from my perspective because if you're only ever going to get caught once, well then the likelihood is you're not getting stopped and searched all the time. You're not in a community that has constant guard of presence, and you you know what I mean. So you and you're not in addiction. So yeah. you're not going around every day with drugs in your pocket and quite obviously maybe looking like that you have an addiction. So that only serves people who are only ever going to get caught once. Right? Yeah, like, like people nothing. who get lifted down
0: at an electric picnic like the one yeah. time in their life ever. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's all that that's going to serve. The same with the cannabis one. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think there should be regulation of cannabis, but I'm very slow to speak about cannabis because that again fails the communities that are completely impoverished by uh, like benzo addiction and crack addiction and all that kind of stuff so for me it's like if you begin to even separate cannabis out you're also still leaving the most impoverished behind and the most in need behind so um, like cannabis is kind of said like they didn't decriminalize it at all in, in a sense and they haven't actually even piloted the initiative that they said they would pilot, in terms of the one, the once, or and potentially the second time, it's seen as a health issue, and then from there on in, you can be sent to justice. But really, what came from that committee, or was leaked from that committee, was some of the biggest discussions were on the guards' powers to stop and search. So actually, they felt de facto that they wouldn't be in a position to stop and search if drug use uh, was decriminalised but you're decriminalizing the individual. So it's like, how can you sit in a room and not actually still get this? That you're not legalizing a substance, you're decriminalizing the person in possession of the substance. So you can still take the substance if you want. Like there's not, like whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the substance itself is still illegal, but you're not going to end up in prison for being in possession of it. And they're two very different things, you know? So the guard saying stop and search. And I always find it funny because I've never seen a guard around here provide a reason (laughs) that you were stopping and searching. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't, why would you just stop and search people anyway? Unless they were engaged in like criminality, unless they were like, there was a fight, there was violence, they were, you know, smashing a shop up. Then you might stop and search. But why would you be just stopping and searching random people for no reason anyway? So like, I think there's this real, Um, lack of understanding I suppose and we don't really have any leadership in the guards in Ireland as well on this issue I think one or two people have came out over the years but I've done work with other countries I'm involved in global initiatives on these things and we've met in Edinburgh Edinburgh, and we've met in the Czech Republic and everyone from around the world that's been working on these issues come together and each and every one of them are at different stages I suppose of the conversation so it's always good to learn from them Um, but they have some real leadership in the UK I think they call them boroughs or something, do they? Like the 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 constituencies that the guards operate in, and some of them have de facto introduced decriminalisation themselves because they're like, I'm not arresting anyone else for possession. So they've literally just so they've shown leadership at that local level, even though the policies haven't changed at a more national level. And then you have attorney generals in the, in America, like Marilyn Mosby, and and another another one called Sarah, and they've just again as well like to the backlash in the states that they operate in are refusing to prosecute anybody in possession of drugs. Um, and, and particularly over there, it's it's very much a race issue. So they're like, I'm no longer arresting people because it's just racist. And I'm not, you know, it's so there's all these people that are doing these things, but I actually haven't seen anybody, you know, stand out in Ireland in that way and go, actually, I'm just going to refuse. Now, I know some guards do let people just go on But it's ad hoc and it can't be ad hoc because it can't be just dependent on the guard that you meet on the day. You know, it needs to be national policy. Let's get back to your top three policy initiatives
0: as the new minister in our hypothetical utopia.
2: So decriminalisation and I think a a policy initiative, which is probably quite boring, but like five five year funding, stream so like that you have like an increment year on year on year with inflation and the cost of living so right now like um a lot of projects don't have will have to look at how they cut program costs or salaries to even see the increases in the costs of keeping their buildings and um, there's like local youth centers that are, are selling raffle tickets literally every day to try and pay the the increase in insurance and stuff so i think a policy initiative has to be that you would have a, a real, like, aggressive fund and funnel into all those projects so that they can actually operate in the way that they're supposed to operate. And I think the other one then is I'd probably lose. I'd pro- uh, like, you know, planning objection is important, but it's hard then when it's used on safe injective facilities. Like, so I think, like, I think we need to find a way to introduce safe injective facilities and consumption rooms uh, in all the big cities in Ireland, and. I think on board Panola need to be completely reformed so that they can actually adequately fight these cases in court because I don't think they're actually uh, doing what they're supposed to do in terms of making sure that they're so organized and so on top of their briefs and so understanding that when it gets to court, you know, that they're actually winning these cases, but they're losing more than they're winning, I think, at the moment. So, you know, so I think that the, the consumption, it's hard because then the zone and all as well. So anything that saves lives, so, you know, I think it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick three policies, but I'm sure I'd. Uh, I'm sure I'd choose sure three policies if I thought about it. That were umbrella policies of all the other policies. There'd be probably three policies that would change a load of the other ones. Yeah.
0: Before you go, is there anything else going on that's kind of underreported with regards to your own work or with um, conversations that are happening in in the shannet right now that you think is interesting?
2: In, in uh, different from drugs. Yeah. Um. So we, I've been trying to have the civil liberties uh, discussion for a long time. So I have a bill on civil liberties and overreach, and I think we've we, we've seen that happen in the last few weeks with, um, I suppose Fine Gael uh, threatening funding of National Women's Council of Ireland. Now I have all my problems with National Women's Council of Ireland in many ways, but like, but that's that's, that's scary stuff when you start doing that. But a lot of projects are feeling that on the ground. And there's a term political purposes in the in, in, in that is now being used to actually stifle advocacy and political purposes in legislation is only meant to actually be about you know general election and referendum. It's not supposed to be advocacy. so there's stuff like that 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 will come back up and then um we've a he- I've a he- with me and Eileen and uh, Alice Marion I have a housing uh, motion on Tuesday. But other than that, I think you know there's been some good motions on you know the Uyghur people and um some good human rights work done um on on the trips waiver stuff. But again, they're all like the, the motions will be ignored. You can have you can have like a it, it can act as a symbol, I suppose, to what we think. But you know what does it achieve after that? Like, because as far as I'm aware, like um. You know what Leo Veradkar is saying in a in a in an international arena about the trips waiver. I think he was quoted this week as saying um, that uh, the pandemic uh, and and I'm paraphrasing, so I might have the phrase wrong. Uh, the pandemic is being used um, to undermine intellectual property. What? So when we're actually talking about saving lives and he said this on front of what was an African audience as well so he like that the trips waiver stuff so basically there's people using the, the the pandemic to undermine intellectual property
1: well you can't have people losing money
2: oh yeah <laughs> yeah well um I know a great way they could make money by regulation
0: (laughs) listen um, Lynn, always a pleasure Uh, you're doing Trojan work I know it must be very difficult coming up against a system that um, is not exactly uh, dynamic and quick to respond or think beyond how uh, various individuals are going to get elected next time around but your work is so appreciated particularly in this area so keep it up and we'll check back in with you soon Thank you.
1: Now it's time for Get in the Sea. Andrea? I'm going stateside this week for who can get in the sea. They can get in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, which is not a sea, essentially. Uh, But Texas Governor Greg Abbott, obviously a Republican, has called on citizens to report parents of transgender kids for abuse if they are uh, in if they're engaged in gender affirming treatments. What well, that, that the fuck off, basically? Like, it's just outrageous. That's it. You can get into see.
0: Um, that's super depressing. I know there's loads of depressing. Things happening in the world at the moment—it's—it's it's actually very overwhelming, as you're saying. I was talking to my mom the other day. I was in um, my mom's house, and she was like listing them all off, all of the things that are happening. She just goes, "I don't know, just misery everywhere." <laughs> I was like, "Cool, mom, <laughs> that's super uplifting." So, if you're feeling that there's misery everywhere, don't worry, things will get better, and. Everybody is feeling very overwhelmed I'm right now. I've
1: been a lot for a long time, Runa. Right <laughs> I am waiting for that to kick in. Don't worry. Um, I did, like. There's a lot of warnings on the internet at the moment of like, don't be afraid to not engage in every like movement Russia makes or having to know everything that happens. Um, and I think it's worth saying that. Uh,
0: now it's time for It's Bananas.
1: I don't know why I'm laughing, but like, I've just been very overwhelmed all day and I just can't get over war. I think war in itself is bananas. Like, it just is the most awful, awful, awful thing in the world. And why you would ever want to engage in it or like it's psychotic and the effect it has on people, it's just, I can't. The only way I can put it into words of how I feel about it is to call it bananas.
0: Fuck war, I think, is a good statement, always an evergreen one. Um, And all of the people who perpetrate and fetishize it, go away, leave everyone in peace. Okay, we'll have a little bit of an uplift now. It's time for our fave bits. Andrea, what are your fave bits this week? Curiously, curiously bare cupboard now I'm staring uh, into.
1: I actually was so busy having a ball this weekend and week that I actually have not got one fave bit. So I did come on and I was like, going to start trawling away to find some fave bits. But then I had a look at your fave bits and was like, do you know what? I think Una has enough fave bits for both of us.
0: I do actually have a lot of fave bits. I appreciate the delegation um,
1: or the delegating delegation. it's just highlighting some very important ones there that probably I would have picked as well <laughs> okay well I don't, I don't need to be territorial about my five bits um, but I agree we we
0: share a lot of common interests and uh, I, I enjoy that so here are my here are my favorites. okay my first fave bit. Just. Oh, I picked that as well. <laughs> Everybody, stop everything that you're doing, and figure out how you are going to see on Colleen Keane when it comes to cinemas. It was on in uh, the Dublin International Film Festival this week. I was lucky; I couldn't make it to that, but I did get a screener from the producer, which I watched last night. This is a film um, that recently won a big, big jury prize at uh, the Berlin International Film Festival. It emerged from Sin 4, which is T.G. Cagher's kind of development strand uh, for Irish language film. It is absolutely stunning. It is a brilliant film. It is so beautiful. It is, the production design is amazing. The direction is amazing. What's Kate- the base? it's about a it's based on a short story by claire keegan actually um and it's about a young girl um who's kind of in a precarious family situation and uh the interactions between her parents and and, and other people uh in terms of her care um it's it's so it, it's it's gentle but it's deeply emotional. It's so moving. It's so well-paced. I actually think it's kind of a game changer for Irish cinema and not just because it's in the Irish language. Obviously, uh, there have been really amazing um, strides made with Irish language cinema, including Aracht. Uh, and also there's a new Irish language film called Fusca coming out soon. That means shelter. But on Colin Kuhn, The Quiet Girl, it's it's just a, it's it's gorgeous. Like it, it, it is stunning. Um, and, and so so moving the performances are great everything is great in it um shout out to carrie crowley who is in it as well who i just love as an actor so much and she's fantastic in it so uh keep an eye out for when the the general releases because it's it is brilliant um my other fave bits i mentioned this before i'm going to mention it again shit is in project next week in Dublin. Uh, play uh, Australian play. Uh, it's directed by, this one's direct, uh, production's directed by Jenny Jennings Pop Baby. Uh, get your tickets. I only think there's a few performances, so definitely go see that. Also next week, so much stuff happening next week, including, of course, uh, Andrea, our London trip, which should be in our favourite bits. Uh, the Choice Music Prize of Vicker Street next week. There are still tickets available. Always one of my favourite music nights of the year. Um, of the 10 nominees, there are seven playing. So Elaine May, For Those I Love, House Plants, Kojak, Mick Flannery and Susan O'Neill, Soda Blonde and Villagers. The other nominees are Saint Sister, Orla Gartland and Bicep. Always a fun night um, for the music industry and music fans. My other fave bit, I am really enjoying the genius, genius, uh, Do- Kanye West documentary on Netflix I know Kanye is pain in the hole uh, he's also you know creative you know genius I guess you could say uh, and this is super interesting not only because it, like from the jump he is just so egotistical and just wants to be seen and wants to be heard and wants to rant Um and you can just really see that from the start, like how kind of how melty that is, but also how driven uh, he is. The IF nominations were out uh, this week. And if you listened to our podcast last week, you would have heard us talking about Kate Dolan's film You Are Not My Mother on the strength of the terrifying and brilliant trailer and lo and behold, six nominations for this film. So brilliant. And it goes to show how great it is. This is a low budget Irish horror film that is now getting a massive, massive buzz. Kate Dolan is the director. Watch the trailer again. It's called You're Not My Mother. Really brilliant. Um, and so fantastic to see so much world class work happening. Um, and 2021, you know, was a record breaking year for film and television productions in Ireland. Um, more productions, more productions, more money going into the economy. I think in the Irish econ- economy alone last year, it was worth half a billion quid for these. Um, all of the work that's happening. Anybody, of course, who works in film and TV at the moment knows the the extent of this happening and the, and the uh, demands on crews and amazing uh, international and indigenous productions happening all over the place. So the industry is flying and that's great to see. On that, the buzz is building, of course, for conversations with friends. Um, I didn't mention it last week, This the television adaptation, of course.
1: I watched the trailer. Did you watch the trailer? Do you care about this? I still haven't seen the other one. Normal people. Normal people yeah. And, and I started reading the book and I had to give up. I was like, no. Fair enough. Um, horses for courses. But I'm, ex- I'm
0: excited about that as well. I'm also excited about another series that Element have done called The Dry, uh, which is by, uh, I think it's directed by Paddy Brannock and Kieran Hines is in it. Obviously, Kieran Hines flying high with his Oscar nom uh, from Belfast, the film. My other fave bit, the time is now. It has returned. Spinster, the uh, queer night um, for women and others uh, at Grand Social this week. I'm excited. I'll see you all there. Also, uh, Dublin Digital Radio is throwing a party in Dublin on Saturday night. Free tickets for their Patreon subscribers. You can check out the deets on their social media. Um, Speaking of music en general, I forgot to put this in, but it is a fave bit of mine. I went to, so one of my favorite nights in Dublin is called Still Space. And it's an um, a live ambient music night at Unit 44, on Prudges Street in Stony Butter and uh, it was on again on Tuesday, I guess, Tuesday or Wednesday this week, can't remember, and I went again and it's just so enjoyable, it's just like such a vibe, so chilled out obviously because it's ambient music and you just like sit there and you watch these musicians like making live ambient music, some of it improvised, some of it not, and then you go home and it's
1: pretty good. I would recommend this. It, it uh, sounds like this is very judgmental. It's very, very hipster vibes and stony batter. I mean,
0: may I guess so? Like, I don't know. I mean, the 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 venue is called Unit Forty Four. It's run by Kirkos Collective. Um, they have it for a while, I think, and they're just doing a lot of free or very cheap. Um, improvised or experimental musical things in it, so I don't. It's not like full of wankers, if that's what you're saying. Um, it's it's about the art that's being made rather than the scene. Yeah, no, no, it's not. I mean, obviously, you know how allergic I am to those uh, that kind of thing. Um, and this is not that. Uh, this is a really, really interesting and good vibe, and it's great to see it. So I recommend both still space and also um, the various goings on at unit 44 in Dublin 7. If you have not been to Emma in Dublin in the evening time, in the dark to see the installation that Aoife Dunn has in the courtyard called Dream Sphere, this is the final weekend. And I would recommend that you go because it's totally trippy and brill, uh, amazing video installation, giant installation with like sound and stuff in the courtyard there. And it's like a vibe. It'll definitely
1: stimulate your brain. She had um, a different piece every night down at the I push thing, the wall of create. I can't remember what it's called. Don't you know on the canal? Oh yeah. Uh, she And it changed every night for seven nights. She's fab. She's brilliant. Her. Yeah. Um, and finally, my fave bit is
0: another fave bit is the, um, that new serial podcast Trojan Horse Affair Um, I started listening to the first episode yesterday it's about the hoo-ha that happened around the schools in Birmingham in like 2014 with all of this kind of Islamophobic stuff in the media and loads of confusion about what was happening Um, and so far it's really good although I'm now reading all these people these pieces about like what the Trojan Horse Affair got wrong so I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, can I not just listen to this thing? So I'm going to listen to it anyway and then I'll ring or read the 90,000 uh, think pieces in The Guardian. Um, so those are my fave bits. What do you think about those, Andrea? are oh, really good fave bits. Okay. I would have also picked them. <laughs> and now it's time for Book of the Week. Book
1: of the
2: Week.
0: Book of the week this week is Hole in the Head. It is a new zine from Jack Schollard as part of a new project called Smut Press. That's launching in Hen's Teeth on Thursday of this week. Uh, Previous zine uh, made by the same person was called Reverie, which I loved. Uh, So get a hold of this one. And yeah, new little indie zine vibes of deadly queer brilliance into it you have your own range of zines i (laughs) i make zines all the time yes i do um oh it's because i finally put some of them on instagram you're saying this is it yeah yeah um i was actually gonna make one after uh after this podcast recording yes i make zines all the time to process my thoughts and give them to random people I've been doing this since I was a teenager, that's how I first started writing, was in zines. And it came back to me during the pandemic as an echo of my childhood, as all of the certainties of the world disintegrated and I searched for meaning and just poetically retreated to the creative outlets that gave me pleasure as a young, young woman in the cultural vacuum suburbs of Dublin.
1: This podcast is produced by <laughs> Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Oh, losing my, my mind. And it all of our design. Una, what's our tuna chicken roll this week? Oh, you tell me, Andrea, because you always choose it. <laughs> I picked Sabrina Johnston, Peace. I went looking for loads of peace songs that were very kind of depressing, and that's not what I'm here for. So the message is peace, fuck war. Here's Sabrina Johnson. Peace. I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan.
0: This has been United Ireland or otherwise known as our weekly existential breakdown.
1: (laughs) And that was why is the government ignoring the reform and resourcing needed on this issue of drugs in Ireland? God damn it. (laughs)